0: Welcome all. You're listening to the MLTI 2.0 podcast, Teaching with Tech. We are your hosts, MLTI Ambassadors.
1: We are here to support main educators by building a network focused on authentic voices, experiences, and technology integration. Hello and welcome back to Teaching with Tech. My name is Joshua Schmidt, and I am your host for this month where we will be having two episodes dedicated to digital citizenship. I am joined by a familiar face, Rob Dominic, who is our usual hosting expert,
0: but he's also our team's dad joke extraordinaire. Rob, how are you doing this week? Hey, Josh. I'm doing pretty good. I'm kind of excited to be in this role here and uh, change things up a little bit. Well, we'll know
1: if you gave me a lot of feedback after the first segment if I get a lot better by the second segment. So we know Rob will keep a close eye on everything I do today, so we're, we're in good hands. I'm also very excited to be joined by Jonathan R. Werner who is not only one of the kindest people you can ever meet, but he's also one of our team's experts on the topic for the month. Hello, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Before we start, do you wanna take a minute to introduce yourself and where you worked before joining the
2: MLTI ambassador team? Hello, Um, like Rob, I'm in my second year of ambassadorship and I'm normally um, the technology integrator for Cape Elizabeth Middle School.
1: Well, I appreciate you both joining me to talk about digital citizenship. This is obviously a huge topic that has been debated a lot recently with AI integration being at the forefront of people's minds. Uh, But before we dive in too hard, uh, I would love to start with a definition to get us all on the same page with what we're talking about. So let's start with Jonathan. Can you help us define digital citizenship and how it impacts our classrooms?
2: Sure. So one big piece that I discovered as I started to do this work was that nobody really agrees on what digital citizenship is or should be necessarily so I think a key piece of it is to make sure that it's focused on um, appropriate use and appropriate behavior but it also needs to really make sure kids are thinking about more than just that aspect of it and following the rules and one of the ways I've heard it framed that I really like is that it is looking at more than just the digital don'ts but looking at the digital do's and also thinking about it as opportunities so if you can get students moving away from just being consumers to creators that can be a hugely helpful framework so appropriate use along with opportunity along with creation that's how I've kind of thought about them together as a way to define citizenship as a focus.
0: So honestly, right off the bat, um, I like the point that Jonathan just made about the digital dues because um, I've related a lot honestly in my thinking with with coaching, where I've read about you know the brain not being able to think of the negative about don't don't go up to the plate and strike out in baseball, right? That's not great advice, really, because. As soon as you start saying that that's then it, it enters their mind right like don't think about an elephant right now don't think about a pink elephant jumping on the on your roof like oh well it just popped in my mind i can't help it almost um so i think it's a really important message that there is the digital do's of what can you do to be effective not just don't do this don't do that you know have that positive model piece because a lot of times it does feel like it's the scary internet and don't do things, all this and that, you know, you're going to do get into trouble. No, do these good things. There is lots of good there.
1: Well, and I think, um, just thinking about like the positive versus the negative and trying to teach kids how to actually like use these tools effectively is something that is really, really vital and important. Uh, Jonathan, in early in your presentation where you talked to um, schools and teachers and administrators about this, you mentioned your core beliefs within digital citizenship. And I think with this topic of digital do's rather than don'ts, I would love to hear about those core beliefs and how they impact the work that you're doing.
2: So um, I'll talk quite a bit about Kate Meyer and then you'll get to hear from her in a little bit, but she and I have developed this presentation together. She's the third of the senior ambassadors, and we started with this really kind of great concept from Kevin Honeycutt, um, who's a, a tech expert, and he said our kids are growing up on a digital playground, and no one is on recess duty. And I feel like that's such a great framework that we're re- really leaving them to the the title of our presentation is left to their own devices, and they just are supposed to figure it out on their own, and it's really a ridiculous assumption in the same way we would never hand them some complicated text. Um, Kate used the example of handing war and peace to a fifth grader and say, you know, good luck with that, hope that goes well for you. We don't do that with literacy, we don't do that with numeracy or any other real areas of teaching, and yet, somehow we've come to this assumption that it makes sense for kids to do it on their own. So we really look at it from a perspective of empowerment um, instead of control. We know we can't control kids and prevent them from doing all the things that are concerning. So instead, we're going to say, what skills can you bring to this? What kind of opportunities does it afford? Um, We make sure we really stay focused on a shared responsibility where we want to know that it is not just purely in a teacher's lap. It has to be more broadly taken in by administration, by the district overall, and then probably most importantly, by families and by the overall community, because that's where they're going home to. That's what they're learning at an early age. And if we don't have them on board on this same message that it's really important to look at those digital dues and that opportunity for creation, then we're dead in the water before we start. And then finally looking at it from an empathy point of view that one of the things I do really early on when I talk to kids is about my own negative experiences with technology and I say I totally get why it's distracting, why it's really hard to turn away from and talk at length about why we're really in a shared space. It's so easy to say they do this, they do that and if instead we say we do this and look at it from a place of understanding that they are subjected to the same forces of the tech industry that we are, um, it's a much better framework and it gets rid of the blame and really goes back around to that idea of empowering them to be um, the best they can be in a digital sphere.
1: That reminds me of one of the first things I saw that you and Kate had done uh, with this work as you had talked about your personal experience uh, with digital ownership. And I remember sitting and, and watching that work and thinking, I'm definitely not you know, a good example of having solutions to all of these problems either. But I think if you're working with students, that that can be a part of the empathy of solving these issues and saying that this is really hard. This is something that takes time. And a lot of those kids are going to be looking at the adults in their lives and realizing that they don't have all the answers to these problems either. So let's pass it to Rob here. Uh, Jonathan had mentioned the idea of you know consumption and creation and how we're really trying to shift kids towards that creation idea. As a classroom teacher, you know what does that mean to you and how does that change the conversation that we're having with kids?
0: Well, I think it kind of it takes away that that digital native myth that you know Jonathan will talk about um, that the students are they're able to go online yes and they're able to click some buttons um, but to be truly productive with all of this power that they have by accessing the internet and you know and using social media effectively um, or creating within you know the, whatever Google Docs or Google Google's um, workplace um, I think it really changes their mindset like hey you can do something with this tool and this opportunity that you have versus just, Just kind of like zoning out wide eyed, just scrolling infinitely and just kind of taking information and becoming that that Internet zombie type feeling instead of actually like looking to create with it and build with it. And as a tool to to innovate, Um, if I think it can be really powerful, if it's presented to them in that way, as opposed to just, you know, just staring at the screen.
2: So, Rob, there's actually a framework that works really nicely with what you're describing, which George Koros came up with. And as Kate and I were scanning for uh, something that worked for us as a definition of digital citizenship, we landed on his definition because what he says is that it's the use of technology and social media in a responsible and ethical way. But then he pairs it with the use of technology to benefit others and to benefit yourself and to create. And he calls that digital leadership. And so what we've done is take that pairing and really get people rethinking that we have to do a both and. It's not just one or the other. And as Kate says really smartly in this uh, observation, uh, in this sort of area, um, if they were digital natives truly, then we wouldn't have to have this conversation in the first place. There'd be no reason for us to be talking today or really ever about digital citizenship because they would just be navigating it smoothly and have no issues. So by pairing those two together, using the leadership with the citizenship, and holding people responsible for both, we end up in kind of a new concept that we're trying to get people thinking about, which we're calling digital ownership. And it's this idea of kind of taking from both of those threads. And if we think about kids as living in a sphere where they see no difference between things that are online and things that are in real life, where we see such a distinction between those, they really don't. So we're teaching them instead of one skill or the other, just digital, life, then it's not digital anything. It's just citizenship, leadership, and ownership. And that focus has really helped us kind of frame the whole conversation and make it clear why it's everyone's responsibility.
1: I think it's really cool that you brought up the idea that for kids, there's not a separation of the internet is fake and everything else is real. That for them, they're intertwined in a way uh, that is not necessarily the case with all generations. Do you feel like that's one of the reasons why in your work you talk about how there's not going to be one specific solution or one specific path that works for every school or every classroom?
2: Exactly. That we end up with districts and kids with totally different challenges, um, unexpected sort of little pieces. And there's commonality between them. But I think if you try to approach it from a really cookie cutter, everyone just needs to do this point of view, um, That's sort of why we landed on the core beliefs, that whatever you end up doing, as long as it works within that framework, that feels really helpful to us. And we'll talk more about the resources that Common Sense Education offers, but they are really clear on this as well. Though their whole work is really around digital citizenship, they encourage you to really customize and make it make sense for your community and whatever particular issues you're facing, instead of trying to say, this is the solution. This is the panacea. That's going to make it all work.
0: I think that's a really good point, honestly. Um, And I think that's, that's where the true power comes in with a digital citizenship initiative Um, because each school or each community can make it their own because their, their issues are unique. You know, what, what one community has or what one grade level has is going to be very different potentially than another one. Um, or, or not, you know, maybe you do have younger grades with a similar issues as, as high school grades. Um, but then also be, I think that helps bring it down to the teacher level when it's presented like that, because then the teachers can feel like, Hey, they can incorporate this in the way that they see fit and that it can really blend into their classroom well instead of just feeling like one more thing.
1: What a great transition, Rob. We're gonna to move to an interview from the field and we're gonna come back with our second segment. We're gonna dive into exactly what Rob just talked about.
3: I'm here with Renee Labor, who is a Spanish teacher at Mount Desert Island High School. Renee is part of the Digital Citizenship Professional Learning Cohort in AOS 91. Renee, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So let's dive right into the questions. Um, Why did you join the Professional Learning Cohort about digital citizenship?
4: I think it's, I just have always felt like it's my responsibility as a teacher to be really up on everything having to do with the digital life that our kids are leading now. And that um, I see some issues with, I know we talked about cell phones in one of the classes. Um, I see some issues with, with students' mental health, like obviously social emotional learning is a big thing that we're doing. And I just feel like it's my responsibility as a teacher to understand as much as I can about the benefits and the negatives of students as they go through the digital world and me as well as my kids. <laughs> um, and I hadn't I hadn't dived into that in a while. So that was mostly the impetus, but also because you were teaching it and I like taking classes with you. <laughs> um, you mentioned some,
3: you know, cell phone issues and some mental health issues. Are there any that stick out to you um, that students seem to be challenged by or struggling with recently?
4: Um, I think I definitely feel that I'm seeing pockets of kids who seem even more not addicted to their cell phones, but actually physically unable, like they are actually anxious. They have anxiety if they can't have their phone, that they've they've voiced that, that if their phone is not available to them they have all of these worries. They worry that someone, something important is happening that they need to know about, or that somebody, you know, you try to say, well, if something has happened, they need, they'll call the office. Like people will. And so this year I have a couple of kids that I've, you know, I have a no cell phone, unless we're using them in class with my behavior. And I always say, um, you know, if you ask me if you can text your mom about that practice, I'm gonna say, yes, I just want you to ask me. But this is the first year where I've kind of made deals with a couple of kids and said, mm-hmm. look, I will let you take it out three times during class. You need to pick those three times and please do it discreetly. So it doesn't become, you know, uh, and I, that's new. I think before I saw this, the addiction of like, just pulling it out of their pocket cause they're used to doing it. But to me, it's new to see this emotional, like anxious feeling if they don't have access to their phones. Um, it just seems more severe now. Why do you think,
3: it would be important then that we are all teaching digital citizenship in our content areas or
4: do you even think that it's important that we're all doing that in our content areas? I think it's important because I think that the more students hear a consistent message no matter where where they are in the school or who the teacher is or what the topic is what the class material is um I think as a way to inter- intertwine it in all of our subject areas and it's just more about that constant messaging, you know, and, and also the comfort of talking about it, like having common vocabulary around it, having, you know, if you're hearing from different teachers about the same topic over time, and maybe it starts to be like, maybe I should, this is important or I should, or maybe it won't connect if I say it to them, but if you do, if they go to your English class and you start talking about it, maybe their connection with you is a little bit different than mine. And it'll actually go, oh you know, Ms. Meyer knows her stuff and she's on Instagram, Ms. Labor's not. So like, I just, I just wonder about that too. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it it can only help to have as many teachers talking about it and doing lessons on it. And Common Sense Media has really great stuff in Spanish. So <laughs> right. that's right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been <laughs>
3: awesome. Um, What has been um a good entry point into your world language curriculum that has been the least disruptive um,
4: when it comes to digital citizenship. The way we teach Spanish at the schools, we use Spanish as a tool to learn about other topics. And so um, I have plenty of resources like I might have an infographic. I have an infographic that I use in Spanish One that is about social media use in Central America. And it's just a it's just a graphic that I found in Spanish. That we can, and it's a way to it's a way to practice reading because they have to look for cognates and context. And there's a lot of cognates in the vocabulary when you're talking about digital citizenship. It's a lot of cognates. And so it's a really great little activity to tie in and say, hey, we were talking about cell phone use yesterday. Let's look at this little infographic. Um, and of course, I always know we're gonna talk about cell phones, so I can just pretend that I just thought of it. <laughs> or or you know tiktok is in the news right now so there's a ton of stuff out there that i can find on tiktok in spanish that's that's comprehensible even to my spanish one kids they can pick out they can pick out certain words so that's kind of my entry point is looking for um activities or articles or mostly visuals like an infographic or I'm thinking Spanish one, cause that's what I teach right now. But in Spanish three, we actually have a whole unit designed around the benefits and negatives of technology. And it's full of like articles and infographics and videos. And the, the Spain government created a website several years ago where they have special um, short videos and stuff that are designed to um, be for teenagers. And so it's more interesting to them. So we just kind of, always see is like, let's, let's use Spanish to teach about multiple things. And one of those things is going to be digital citizenship. Um, Yep. And I want to start, I want to start doing a lesson on sort of what we learned in one of the classes where you like, Oh, I'm looking at a trip and how, how like, Oh, now they know that you're looking for this trip. And it ends up with like, they start sending you things about weight loss because they know you're going somewhere warm. And like that, I think the kids would, will super be interested in. Um, And that would be an easy thing to also somehow put in Spanish.
3: Absolutely. That privacy and security issue, I think, really grabs their attention because, like you said, once they start realizing that, you know, planning the trip opens the door up to all of this tracking that we might not be aware of. um, It's pretty shocking for them.
4: And something else I'm going to add that's as simple as I have my students go on like Duolingo. We play GimKit games and we play a lot of games online and I constantly if they have to register for something, you know, use your school email don't you don't give out any personal information. Don't use a username that you use on other sites. Like, so that just that constant, like, you know, if I'm going to invite you to go to this site, I want to make sure you're using it safely in a way that you're not giving away too much information. Um, yeah. So I just want to insert that in there, too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And that, that message again, like I just I keep thinking, like all teachers should hear this. Right. Because it's that's a very easy message that we could send without you know, creating a whole lesson around digital citizenship, but, but that lesson around protecting your own privacy when you are creating new accounts and just being aware of that is something we could be doing in every single in every single class.
4: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
3: What advice would you give to educators who want to talk about digital citizenship with their
4: students, but who
3: can't fit it into
4: their existing curriculum for whatever reason? Right. Well, I think that the example we were just talking about when, you know, I think every teacher directs kids to go somewhere on the internet at some point. um, And so throwing that in, but I also think just talking about your own use and sharing. I mean, I know that every teacher is different, but I really focus on forming relationships with my students and getting to know each and every one of them and what their interests are. And so it becomes this comfortable thing to, to start talking about, oh my gosh, I was on Facebook the other day. I got these ads for blah, 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 you know, and just share, you know, I saw this, I saw this song on TikTok and, oh, what do you guys think about TikTok? Like just kind of slowly weaving it into conversation, either at the beginning of class or the end of class. um, And having in the back of your mind that if something comes up in class where you can pivot To a quick little lesson about it, um, I think is the the easiest way to do it. If you don't feel like you have time to do full blown lessons, Even like if it comes time to, if you're showing a movie in your class, maybe directing the kids to common sense media and saying, Hey, you know, before I show this movie, let's look at what, what it says about the movie. And then afterwards, let's see if you agree with, with the, you know, the reviews about it, or before we go to the site, let's see if it's actually a safe site to use, or if you're going to. So I think that those are some ways you could do it, but I also feel like just having dialogue with them around technology use. And, you know, I remember when Snapchat first came out and I didn't. I didn't use Snapchat (laughs) and I would say to the kids, does it really go away? Like I would ask these questions. I kind of knew that it, like there are ways to take screenshots, but just kind of playing dumb right? (laughs) (laughs) all the time. I'm like, Oh, is that safe? Like, are you sure? Okay. (laughs) I think those conversations can sometimes help more than a lesson at the front of the room where you're hoping that half of them are actually following, following your lead. But yeah.
3: Yeah, I love that advice. It reminds me of when we were um, teaching hybrid and remote. um, and, And I was just very open and honest with the students about my screen time and the amount of time that I was spending staring at the screen and what it felt like to be staring at the screen when you were watching yourself all day and, you know, how that impacts mental health, right? Like it just, it brings me back to that. And the students were really open to those conversations because once, like you said, once they realized that, we are experiencing the same things too. We're struggling with technology in very similar ways. I think they're really open to having those, those conversations. And like you said, that's where some really good learning
4: takes place.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining
4: me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the class. I've really enjoyed, learned a lot from it. So (laughs) awesome. Thanks Renee. Thank you.
1: Thank you to Kate for her interview. It was incredibly helpful. As we were talking about the interview between segments, Jonathan, you had brought up that the interview made you think about something uh, that you feel like would be a good jumping point for our conversation here.
2: Yeah, I think that one of the areas that really gets overwhelming for teachers is how am I going to add this on to what I'm doing. And I think what's key both about what Common Sense Education offers and hopefully what Kate and I are getting people thinking about is that it is not an add-on, it is a both-and where you can really integrate it pretty easily. So Common Sense Education will give you lessons for every grade. Um, of all varying lengths from five minutes to 45 minutes and we talk about how that might work really nicely in an advisory context or those last five minutes on a Friday afternoon where you just pull out one of their really great digital dilemmas and have them talk about this fact pattern and just think through what's it been like when you've experienced something like what you're hearing about in this digital dilemma but maybe even more accessible than that without any additional work is just to shift the focus of some of your content being connected to awareness of your technology use. So in Kate's example, she teaches Fahrenheit 451. The whole book is about being manipulated and about having information only fed to you in certain ways. And it's an easy transition to add to that what happens when that exact same thing is happening to us in the modern era, and someone is giving us information that seems like it's um, neutral, but it's in fact very charged. Or even something as simple as a world language class, talking about technology use in the target languages countries and saying, you know, what do we notice about the differences there versus how we use it? Um, My son is in a Chinese class, and it's one of the things that his teacher focuses on as an opportunity to still have the conversation about the language use and about the cultural norms, but just with that added piece so that what you're doing is raising kids' awareness about when and how technology is being used.
0: Uh, I think that's that's extremely important to be able to bring up that it can be um, integrated into the content. I think in order for sustainability purposes as well, right, for this not to feel like one more thing in the in the educational system and for the teacher, uh, but to keep it going and make it a meaningful conversation, it has to kind of be an everyday fabric of our lives um, in in the classroom, and that's how to make it genuine is, is by having it into your content and. I would argue that probably most teachers are having a lot of these conversations on the side already with students, whether it's during a a homeroom type period, advisory, or just in the hallway because an incident came up, Um, just as you would for other behaviors. You know, hey, don't don't slam into lockers, don't push your friend into things. Uh, You know, they're having those digital conversations, those digital citizenship conversations with their students. Um, So being able to have it embedded and woven into their curriculum kind of is a natural fit. Um, so for many reasons, I think that's that's pretty critical that to have it that way.
1: Well, you bring that up, Rob. It actually reminds me, you had mentioned like thinking of this through the lens of a coach. I also think of myself as a middle school girls coach for multiple sports. We've had lots of conversations about how kids interact with each other online. So that that's another avenue where these conversations are already happening. So it's not just thinking about, like, how can I fit it into my content? Like, it's already there. And it's how can we make those conversations even more valuable and even more natural? What do you think about that, Rob?
0: Yeah, um, I'm, my wheels are just going and turning right now, having the math background and trying to think about, all right, you know, how, how would that conversation look in a math classroom? Because, again, a lot of times people think, oh, that's so easy in ELA here. That's easy in, in social studies. You have those kinds of dynamics already. But you know what? Math can have it too. there is a ton of data out there, right? You know, I would say having data about digital usage and tech usage would be huge in the math classroom. Middle school math, which I love the content that I, I teach in middle school, because I feel like it's all applicable. Um, you know, graphing and visualizing data and finding your measures measures of central tendency. Um, you can do all that with with screen time data. Um, you know, graphs over time about uh, screen time for for kids and what they're using on their devices. You know, almost every device has a setting that you can go into and check what what app was used for how long and they kind of give you graphs already so you can kind of have some working models to go with. There's a bunch of information there that you can, I think, embed into the math classroom.
1: I, I think it's a great point. I also, I, I'm pretty sure it was Kate who actually mentioned uh, just simply counting the number of notifications you're getting like during the middle of an activity. And as a math teacher, that's incredibly high value data. You can fit that into tons of different applications. Um, I would love to close our conversation today helping teachers or educators who are listening to this podcast think forward a little bit. We're gonna have another episode diving into this conversation further, but could we maybe give them something to think about You know, at the end of this episode or something to think about as they enter back into their classroom tomorrow? Um, just to begin those wheels turning on where they could progress from here. Yeah, let's start with Rob on this.
0: Um, I would say my kind of one big takeaway is for educators to think about ways to engage the community. Um, as Jonathan kind of started off this episode well with that comment of of making it bigger than just the classroom, um, I think that's an extremely important takeaway for, for listeners to have is that, the community needs to be involved. You need to find ways to have this kind of be the conversation that happens and the culture that's built in your school community, your your, um, your residential community, um, wherever it may be, and however far you can reach. Host some nights for parents to have digital citizenship night and, night and come in, um, or you know have trainings done virtually for them that are are parent facing things like that that can really help them have the opportunity to reflect and really stop and think about what's going on in both their own lives and their students, honestly, in the digital world.
1: Uh, let's go to uh, Jonathan next. Uh, what's something that you want
2: people to think about
1: at, you know, as they're ending this episode?
2: Well, one piece is what uh, Rob just said, that I think if you frame it as if your program is going to end when the bell rings, it's really going to be difficult for it to succeed. That kind of framework might be a helpful touchstone. But the other one that's really been transformative in my thinking is that it is not a neutral playground that they're in so kate and i talk about it as a wilderness um that wilderness is not organic it didn't just grow there it was built for a very specific reason and as we present this we've used the extended metaphor of the hunger games where that arena is created for the players and it's full of traps but it gets really easy to get so enmeshed in it, almost like a virtual reality where you are forgetting that it's all engineered around you and that the algorithms are responding to your choices and making decisions for you. So if we circle back around to that first idea of these core values, it's pretty easy to access your empathy for kids and your sense of this is a shared responsibility with them um, to figure this stuff out if part of your framework includes the idea that they're being subjected to all this. It's not that they're so focused on it and it's their fault. It's that they're being, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say hypnotized, just completely sucked in by a group of people in a room somewhere whose full-time job is to make sure they don't look away. And Rob, you joke about the sort of every app out there or every device out there has a way to count the uh, amount of minutes that's on there. But even that feature was designed because People were told, I am not going to accept your company not helping me figure out how much use is happening. And so that piece is responsive from the industry, not because they did it out of the kindness of their heart, but because consumers stood up and said, that's not acceptable. And that, to me, is sort of the perfect encapsulation of the work that's ahead of us, that it's going to be our job if we want anything to happen.
1: I wanted to thank Rob and Jonathan for joining me in today's episode, but I also wanted to give a huge thanks to both Kate and Renee for the fantastic interview. Everyone had great perspectives and they gave me a ton to think about. Join us next time as we dive even deeper into digital citizenship and its role in the classroom. This podcast was produced by the MLTI 2.0 team, which is part of the main department of education. We would love for more voices to join us in conversations around technology integration and digital citizenship. So please share your own experiences by emailing us at doe-mlti2.0 at maine.gov, or by filling out the form in the show notes. And just a reminder, contacting us puts you in the drawing for this month's prize, a breakout EDU kit for your classroom or school. I wanted to pass along some great advice I received from a teacher friend recently, Act like a proton, always be positive. Class dismissed.